Oh, what is up? Welcome to Bring in the Backups. I'm your host, Eric Helwig. On the show today, we're talking quarterback Sean King. Some glory years he had with the Tampa Bay Bucks. We also talk about their uh, creamsicle uniforms and the gay pirate that used to be on the side of their helmet. I talk about getting an upper endoscopy, Juana Man, and the things that make me come. There's no guest on the show uh, this time around. It's just me. We uh, recently got back into L.A. Uh, from our cross-country trip. And, uh, yeah, this is just kind of getting our bearings back. Good to be back home in the uh, COVID capital of the universe currently. Uh, the show is doing great. I want to thank everybody that uh, has been listening, telling their friends. We've seen a real uptick in listeners, which is cool. For the last uh, last two episodes, do me a favor, guys. Get yourself on Apple Podcast Review. We're at 97 reviews as of recording, which means I need three more people to hop on there. Get me to 100. My life changes at 100. Not really. It stays exactly the same. But it'd be nice to get to 100. You know, that's a little goal. And then we work our way to 200, 300, 5,000. One million Apple Podcast reviews. It's doable. It's in sight. But 100 is the first thing to knock down. Thank you guys for listening to the show. As always, we're going to get into the episode right now. The guest list episode. Just me talking for an hour. Can I hold it? Can I hold your attention that long? Have I held your attention this long? Are you already looking at other podcasts to listen to? Put that fucking phone down and enjoy this episode of Bringing the Backups. Appreciate you guys being here. This is Bringing the Backups with Eric Helwig. The podcast is beginning. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Good to be uh, fucking alive. Jesus Christ. Can't think of anything big that's happened in the news since the last time I was here, right? I'm not going to talk politics, all right? I'm not going to do it. What I'm going to do is slowly build up to a Patreon page where there's a paywall, and then I'll talk about politics behind the paywall like a coward, but not on this show. <laughs> it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I don't feel like cutting the audience in half, all right? I'm trying to strike a balance here, okay? I, I like to see both sides of an argument, but uh, you know, I'm not going on parlor, and I'm not talking politics on the show. That's how I feel. And you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'll probably talk politics later. I don't know. What, what am I going to say? It's probably going to come up at some point. It, it happens organically. It's in the ether. Crazy shit. I'm sure some of you have been waiting to hear my opinion on the uh, the Capitol riot. <laughs> You're like, what's the guy from the podcast about backup quarterbacks going to say about an insurrection? I can't really make up my mind until I hear him talk about it. Man, if you were waiting for my take on this, you're a fucking idiot. And I, I'm assuming there's the, I'm assuming there's none of you that are doing that. But yeah, I, here's the thing: I don't feel the need to salve my soul of the thing. Like, just you, you go listen to the people you already believe. You know, go listen to Fox News or CNN and pretend like that's the fucking truth. Uh, do whatever you're gonna do. All right, uh, whatever. Like to keep the focus narrow on the show. We talk about backup quarterbacks. And by the way, what I just said is a lie. I don't keep the focus narrow at all. I've spent like 20 minutes on this podcast talking about 
my favorite colors before. Like, it's not at all focused. But I try to keep it away from the divisive stuff. So with that said, it's the Tuesday before uh, inauguration. So uh, there's definitely a chance you're listening to this in the back of a burned-out Denny's huddled with your family, listening to gunshots and thinking about eating your dog. So I don't know what to say. Like, hopefully everything's fine. I'm recording this on the Sunday before I release, so it's it's the 18th, right? Or I should say it's the 17th right now, Sunday. This goes out on the 19th. So, you know, I mean, I want to talk about, obviously, the podcast itself. We're going to be talking about Sean King, and we'll get into him. He's an interesting guy, interesting uh, career. I mean, Christ, man, the NFL playoffs have been awesome, I mean, Wild Card Weekend is... I put Wild Card Weekend NFL right up against the first weekend of March Madness. I love it. And to me, it highlights so much why college football, which I also love, sucks with the playoffs. I did not even watch the national championship game. Why would I? Ohio State wins six games, and they get to play in the national championship. It's a joke that that's how they think the playoffs should be. They just choose the team they think is the best. Alabama would crush Coastal Carolina, so why even let them play? Yeah, that's a good attitude for competitive sports. (laughs) Remember that movie Miracle where Russia just doesn't even play the USA because they're going to kick their ass anyway, and you know who needs to watch the game? That was fun, wasn't it? (laughs) They use the argument, they're like, well, look, they beat them nine out of ten times. It's like, well, I'd like to watch to see if maybe it's the one time they don't. Like, that's kind of the whole fucking point of sports is you got to play the other team. Oh, what a joke. But the NFL did it right, man. Adding a seventh team was awesome. I loved every game. I loved it from the wild card weekend. And then this weekend, dude, I mean, if we're going to talk backups on this show, we're going to talk about Chad Henney. Look at this old motherfucker coming in. For the best quarterback, maybe ever, probably will be the best quarterback ever when all's said and done. Mahomes goes down. Henny steps up. I said it on Twitter, man. I think the Chiefs are probably better off at this point just trading Patrick Mahomes and building around Chad Henny for the next six months before he uh, shatters his hip. That's my. That's what I would do. And that's serious. That's my real take. Now I love watching. Uh, you know, I was rooting for the Browns. Here's the thing. I was totally rooting against, even though I, I, I'm a sucker for backups. I mean, how do you not love Baker, what he's done in the playoffs? But, man, that game was awesome. I mean, they, got, they obviously got to change both those rules, man. They got to change the helmet-to-helmet you can review. I'm not going to sound like an old man when they complain about football. They're putting dresses on them. You know, like, I, I don't want people not remembering their kids when they're 35. So I'm all for making helmet-to-helmet reviewable in the NFL. You got to do that. That's got to be a reviewable play. Of course, we're talking about Higgins fumbling out of the back of the end zone. But th- why, why do you lose possession when you do that? It could be a penalty, but that seems like such a overreaction. It just reminds me of like, like draconian surf law where you steal a loaf of bread in town and like the, the feudal lord that runs you. I don't know where we are in the 1800s right now where this is, <laughs> these terms are correct. But you know like where somebody like steals a loaf of bread and then you chop their hand off? Isn't that Aladdin? This is like the guy's gonna like got a sword. I don't know. Whatever. Those rules got to change. But even with that, man, the Browns, old Browns, old Browns would have sat down and lied and let that be a 
into the game, man. But they fought back. That was a great game. The, I love the Bills game. I love the defense in the Bills-Ravens game. Oh, that was good. I wish Lamar can get over the hump. I know he won one playoff game, but, man, that was a great game. The backup came in for that game too, right? With the uh, What's his name? The guy from uh, – he's the rookie from Utah. Oh, I can't remember his name. I think it's Huntley. Yeah, the guy from uh, Utah. After Lamar Jackson, their depth chart goes Robert Griffin the third. They got Trace McSorley, who's from Penn State, who I liked a lot in college, and he's played really well too. Whenever Jackson's been out, but they were both injured. They called up Huntley from the practice squad from Utah, and the dude looks good, man. He kind of plays like Lamar. He can move around. He was making plays happen. I mean, I liked him a lot too, man. I mean. Uh, I'm a sucker, guys. As soon as the backup comes in and completes two passes in a row, I'm like, burn it all down. This is your new guy. Give the backup a chance. And I'm not even going to get in. Well, of course I am. I'm leading into it right now. Uh, Heineke, for the team of football players currently assembled in the Washington, D.C. area. Is that the full name? Did I get it? I'm like throwing to my sidekick who doesn't exist right now. Did I get that, man? Like looking for his approval. I'm just staring at a wall two feet in front of my face. Yeah, Heineke was amazing. He was so good in that game. And all the players afterwards are like, can he be our quarterback, please? You know, nothing against Alex Smith, but, you know, I can't watch Alex Smith play football for another full season. It's nothing against his skill. Like, he's fine. You know, he's a game manager type. He's got talent. Like, if you surrounded him with players, I'm sure he'd be fine. But, like, I just, I'm like a nervous Nelly when this dude's on the field. As soon as the pocket starts to collapse around Alex Smith, I have 35 heart attacks. I'm like, please stay away from his leg. This dude was walking on what looked like a half-eaten turkey leg from a Thanksgiving dinner, and now he's playing professional football. It's too much. Get somebody else in there. I loved Heineke, man. I hope he gets at least sticks around. He better stick around. On the team next year. I mean, he earned that with, you know, going toe-to-toe with Brady in the playoffs. I mean, Christ, that was awesome. My backup boner was like a diamond dick for the last <laughs> couple days. Man, I'm telling you, this was great. This was great football. Like, it's just like, if you're a football fan, this should have... I'll be honest, man. Like, I'm an Eagles fan. And when the Eagles aren't in it, I, I sometimes I tune out. Like, I'm not... uh I'm not a huge football fan, which is <laughs> so funny to admit on this podcast that's based on football. I love football, but I can build a life without it when my team sucks and is boring. And here's the thing, even it's not even just when the team sucks, because I can watch a team that sucks and dream on the future and dream on young guys. It's when a team sucks and the management is a nightmare and there's no direction to it. Like, I watched, like, every game when the Sixers were tanking. I thought that was fascinating because it, it had a direction. They were intentionally in a death spiral. But, like, when the team sucks and it's old and doesn't even have the vision to suck on purpose, I'm like, it's, it's hard not to check out. But, man, I'm telling you, these playoffs got me so into it. And, like, every team that's coming in now, last four games, we got the team set, right? Aaron Rodgers with the Packers versus Tom Brady and the Bucks. Great game. Great game. Cannot wait to see that game. Going to root for the Packers, but, you know, it, 
Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl with a new team, like that would be amazing too. Like, and he's evil. He's it's like watching Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One. You're like, dude, somebody kill this guy. But like, no one's gonna kill. You can't kill him. That's gonna be a great game. And then Bills Chiefs. It's gonna be a great game too. And if Chad Henney starts, all of a sudden I gotta root for the Chiefs. I don't even like Chad Henney, but he's a backup. Now he's one of my guys. As soon as you're a backup, you're you have this podcast's full stamp of approval. And then it's going against the Bills. Bills who lost four Super Bowls in a row. I mean, who's not rooting for the city of Buffalo with what they've gone through, right? Yeah, I think it was. I think it must have been the. Uh, yeah, it was the wild card weekend. The Bills. Uh, they started to give it up a little bit at the end. The game was closer. And I'm just in my head, I'm like, you know, as a student of history, I don't trust the Bills' defense here to hold up in the playoffs. <laughs> Seen a little bit too much from the Bills' defense in old NFL videos to know that they're not great in the playoffs with everything on the line. So, but yeah, man, I'm rooting for them. I, I feel like there's a story with every team. It's great, man. It is great. I had to run errands today during the Browns-Chiefs game, which was infuriating. I had to go pick up my medicine from CVS, and they were taking so long, I left without my medicine to come back and finish the game. That's <laughs> I was like, I'm not missing the fourth quarter. I'm listening to the game on my headphones. It's taking like 20 minutes. They're like going through my insurance. I'm like, call me when the medicine's ready. Go back to my house. I'm not doing it. And there is something nice, man. I, I got to say, I do it a lot with baseball, but I haven't done it in football where you can listen on your phone to games, like just the radio. But it, it does like bring you back a little bit to like, I remember listening to, uh, I'd listen to Eagles games when I was in the car with my dad. You get to picture what's happening as they're talking to you. And you get a good, you get a good announcer, a good color analyst. It's like, it's cool because you get to kind of paint the game in your mind. Versus just uh, or just watching it on TV like a fucking drone in Batman Forever when Jim Carrey puts the shit on your forehead. Let's see what's in his head on the box. Like, yeah, like I like picturing it. It's like a book. <laughs> it's not like a book. It's, it's, uh, that, that, that's a dumb person being like listening to a football game is like reading a book. That's clearly spoken like somebody who doesn't read a lot of books. I'm on a high from the games. I thought it was awesome. Hopefully, you guys got a chance to watch them too, man. It was uh, it was some good stuff. All right, so that's uh, that's us catching up on current events. <laughs> the, the, the fucking capital got invaded by rioters, and catching up on current events is uh, you know talking about Chad Henney. I love this fucking show. Uh, we're gonna get into uh, our our subject for the episode, which is Sean King. Uh, after our first break, everybody, how about a first break? We're gonna do a bit here, a pre-planned bit. You guys are familiar with the show. Sometimes I do those, and uh, this one is a it's it's a fan favorite. You guys love it. You love it. I'd say you know something's gonna be good if somebody just tells you love it. Don't make up your own mind. Enjoy this. Bring in the Backups presents Letters Home from the Bench September 19th, 2008 Deanna Thigpen writes Dearest Tyler It's your bride, Deanna Addressing you on the eve of battle With the Philadelphia Eagles As of yet, 
Not one soul on your team, the Chiefs, has deciphered our pressing confidence that you, Tyler Thigpen, lost your leg in a land den calamity this summer and that I have cloaked myself in your garb and taken up your football charge in a reverse Juana man scheme. Please be cocksure in the matter. I safeguard your good name in circadian cadence. I heave scoring catches afresh. I howl huddle commands in earnest. I honor you on hollowed grid on with my final breath. Kiss the children for me, Tyler. With hearts distanced, undivided, yours, Deanna. Special thanks to my wife, comedian Liz Galalis. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at, at Liz Galalis. You guys remember the movie Juana Man? <laughs> I don't remember the movie at all, except for that it's a dude who has to who pretends to be in the WNBA. Here's the thing about those movies. It's just so funny that that's like a, a trope. <laughs> those were like movies. That, there was like a whole bunch of movies that came out. Or somebody has to pretend to be the opposite sex, and at some point there's a scene where they're in the locker room and they're trying not to look at tits and ass or dicks, and then like they get found out, but they they have like a love interest on the other team who lets them like feel their titties or something, and then they get found out in the beginning of the third act, and then they end up dating the person they lied to. <laughs> I'm assuming that's what happens in Juana Man because it happens in like every other movie with that setup. What a funny! I don't think they could make Juana Man now. I'm pretty sure he's done. Not just like in the WNBA when that's found. I'm pretty sure we we cancel him, right? Juana Man, good classic movie, and I got to rewatch it because, like I said, I really do not remember much other than he's he's in a locker room full of players in the WNBA, and I'm assuming he starts dating one of them. That's got to be what happens. You guys can fact check this, you know, in real time as you're listening, but there's no way he doesn't bang somebody on his WNBA team in Juana Man. That's got to be what happens. That's my guess. Everybody always acts like, oh, how could they have done this? And It's like, that's just the way it was. Back in the day, you know, it was seen as comical to pretend to be a woman and be on a WNBA team. It's like when people pull up that, God, like every fucking Instagram star wants to do like a Baby It's Cold Outside remix when Christmas comes along. Isn't this song terrible? It's like, that's how they flirted back then. That, that That's not like a rapey song in 1950. Chicks couldn't just say, I want to get boned. Bone me out. There was no Guys We Fucked podcast. <laughs> like, that didn't exist in the 1950s. You had to pretend, oh, my mom will be waiting. And the guy's like, ooh, but it's cold. Like, that. that's a love story in the 1950s. You ever hear your grandparents talk about how they met? Holy Christ. He, like, comes back from the war. She's graduating fourth grade. You're like, what happened? I don't want to know how it started. <laughs> I know. Whoever wrote Juana Man, great work. Congratulations. I hope... Your dreams of Juana Man 2 in 2021 probably aren't going to come around, but thanks for the laughs. Sean King. All right, let's let's get to it. Sean King. Of course, we're going to be talking about the political activist, Sean King. <laughs> now, come on. Sean Earl King. This, uh, this guy played at Tulane. He's a Tulane quarterback from like 94 to 98, 95 to 98. 
And then get this, in 1998, takes the Tulane Green Wave, who at the time was playing in Conference USA, to an undefeated season, which they hadn't done for like 35 years and have obviously not gone anywhere close since. I love Tulane football, by the way. They got a cool logo with that little like wave that's like surfing on himself. I watched like uh, like the history of Tulane's 1998 season. I mean, Sean King looks good. In college, he's got the arm strength you need. He can move around. The team has a bunch of these like really close wins. I've said before, and I am a uh, I'm an Army football fan uh, because my father went to West Point, so I, I went to those games a lot. And I remembered the game in 1998 where they played. It was like a late night game at Mikey, and I think I was watching it on TV. So I had like a weird. I wouldn't have known the quarterback when I was 13. But as I'm watching the highlights from their 98 season, I'm like, oh, I remember that game. I know what happens here. I remember that being a close game. I remember Army losing. I did not know that they went on to go undefeated. But, yeah, it was a solid college career for Sean King. Uh, love that he's bringing some joy to the, uh, to the fans in uh, New Orleans in 98. And then he gets drafted. He kind of parlays that into a second-round drafting by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 1999. Tampa's kind of starting to reemerge in the mid nineties, right? They got Warren Sapp. The quarterback is Trent Dilfer. Oh, Trenty Dilfs. Holy crap. He's the worst quarterback in nineteen ninety nine. Uh again, researching the pod. I'm looking up I watched those like the nineteen ninety nine Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's all uh Oh my god, Harry Callis. I almost forgot. The, a guy that was the voice of my childhood. Um, Harry Callis narrates all the old NFL season in review where he just puts a positive spin on every shitty team in the NFL. Even if you go 2-14, and 14, he's like, the Carolina Panthers are building for the future. <laughs> and it's like they just show like the two games. They don't look like absolute dog shit. But in 99, I watched the, the Trent Dilfers, and he's horrible. The team is like, please put in. I think Eric Zier was the second-string quarterback. And then Sean King, he's third. They keep Dilfer in for like half the season. The defense is, you know, like the games they're winning are like six to three and four to two. Just like it's the they're the worst offense. Even though they got Mike Allscott and work done in the backfield, you know, arguably, I mean, those are two borderline Hall of Fame players. And then I remember like while they're reviewing, they go, uh, they go like they're in game five and they're like, finally the offense holds its own and explodes against the Kansas City Chiefs. And then at the bottom it shows the final score, 17 to 10. 17 points is an offensive explosion? God, this team was brutal to watch. One of the most, it's got to be one of the most boring Super Bowl teams. I mean, if you love defense, great. But, I mean, that's a bad offense. Anyway, uh, King gets in halfway through the 99 season and the – the offense gets like minimally better. I did. I did remember like they start throwing out. Here comes Jacques Green and tight end Dave Moore. I'll be doing terrible Harry Callis impressions for the rest of this. But yeah, like I start to recognize some of the names of the receivers. They get Keyshawn in two thousand, which was supposed to be like the. Oh, now we're on our way, and two thousand is Sean King's real opportunity right he throws 18 touchdowns 13 interceptions plays like okay has a couple solid games he's got like one game 
against the Rams where they make like a couple incredible plays to win to get into the playoffs. Yeah, so he's like okay. At the end of the 99 season recap, Perry Callis is like, uh, they have uh, Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks, the best linebacker in the game. John Lynch is a shoo-in for the Hall of Fame. And they go to Sean King and they go, and Sean King will try to get better. Like, that's <laughs> the most positive spin they can give Sean King. It's like, he's going to give her the old college try. So 2000 comes around. You know, he's okay. And when I'm watching, I watch the 2000 Buccaneers story. It's Harry Callis again. The 2000 Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a team of destiny. The whole time, they're showing clips of Sean King, but they're not mentioning Sean King. They're mentioning, like, the players catching passes from him. I'm like, why aren't they talking about the guy that is the quarterback? That's so weird. And then at the end of it, they go, the 2001 Tampa Bay Buccaneers are primed for success. Brad Johnson's the new... I was like, oh, they made the package after they already had brought in Brad Johnson for 2001. So they don't even say Sean King's name the entire time, summing up the season, even though he was a starter for 16 games. But let me tell you something. I looked up his stats. I know what he did in 2000, and he wasn't that good. Here's his total career. His total NFL stats, 27 touchdowns, 24 interceptions, 4,500 yards, a quarterback rating of 73.4. This man, look at that. That's, that's right up our alley. And then his Arena League stats, ooh, look at that, 27 touchdowns and eight picks, quarterback rating of 95-19. Why, is there, why are their quarterback ratings look like we're calling in a fucking – Bomb strike on Saudi Arabia. What is that? What is 95 19? That's got to be a Wikipedia error. And then two rushing touchdowns. All right. Anyway, he's a backup after the 2000 season, right? The, uh, they get rid of uh, Dungy, too. They bring in, they trade. I think they traded with Oakland to get the head coach, right? John Gruden. Gruden comes in. They go to like the wild card game in 2001 and lose to the Eagles, baby. Eagles, baby. And then uh, 2002, they win the Super Bowl. And then they suck again. But, you know, whatever. They got a Super Bowl. That's good for them. And then uh, for our our guy, Sean King, after that, he's... uh, So he backs up Brad Johnson, basically, for three years. And in 2004, he goes to the Cardinals. And it's weird. On his Wikipedia page, it says, in his first start against Carolina, he threw for 347 yards, which was a season high for the Cardinals. And I'm like, oh, why didn't he get a shot with Arizona? He only got the one season. They let him go. But then I realized that uh, I looked at the game, and he threw um, three interceptions. And all the yards came after the – they lost like 35 to 10. Well, that's why, you know, numbers don't tell the whole story, right? You got you to gotta look and you got to do a little deeper dive. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because this is one of the only times in podcast history where I actually did do a deeper dive. Because <laughs> I usually would just be like, through for 347 yards, give the man a chance. It was actually kind of interesting. When he was on the Cardinals 2004, the Cardinals were playing okay. Like they were 500 at the end of the season, which did not happen a lot. And the quarterback was Josh McCown who was young. That was like the team he was drafted on. You might even remember 2003, like McCown threw that Hail Mary in week 17 to knock the Vikings out of the playoffs. 
So they actually, the coach, Dennis Green, switched Sean King for uh, Josh McCown, even though the Cardinals were winning, and then Sean King sucked, and then they went back to McCown, I guess, but it didn't matter. It's it's Cardinals quarterback history. Who who gives a shit? But anyway, that was that. Uh, what does King do? Bounces around. He's with the Lions. Then he goes to the Colts. Doesn't look like he plays with either one. Then he plays in the Las Vegas Gladiators for a little bit, arena football. Then he goes to the Grand Rapids Rampage. Throws 10 touchdowns there, but the team goes 1-5. and five. He gets released. Signs with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the Canadian Football League. I got a couple Canada listeners up there. That's you guys. But then he leaves so he can uh, not do that anymore because it probably sucks. And I've lost all my Canadian listeners. And then it looks like he, uh, I know he was a running backs coach up uh, or down with the South Florida Bulls. But then uh, they got rid of him last year. And now he's like coaching at some uh, like private school in Florida. I saw that. So that's what he's up to right now. And I also didn't know this, that he's from St. Petersburg, Florida. So when he was with the Bucks, he was, that was a hometown kid. That's a hometown quarterback. That's a pretty cool story. He made the most out of what was probably not real NFL talent. So, you know, good for him. Good for Sean King. Like, I've got, uh, I've got love for him. And he did have some athleticism in the pocket, right? He could move around a little bit. There was one play where, like, like they had to get a first down and, like, work done was trapped in the backfield and just, like, threw it to Sean King. And he made a bunch of guys miss and got a first down. You if you if you selectively look at all these backup quarterbacks, you can go, this guy could have been something with a shot. You can say about anybody. Somebody said that on my uh, on my YouTube page. I post these up on YouTube. You can follow me on YouTube, by the way. Just youtube.com slash C slash Eric Helwig. The letter C. I don't know why it makes people do that. And maybe you can just type in Eric Helwig. It'll work. I don't know. Go to my fucking YouTube page. You'll figure it out. EricHelwig.com. The link's there. But uh, people have been commenting on, on the quarterback videos, and they're saying things like, Coy Detmer, man, never got a chance. Would have started on any other team. And I'm like, I love it so much because it's clearly not true. But it's so the vibe of the show to just say it and just feel like, yeah, fuck it. He could have been it. He could have started anywhere. He would have beaten out Brett Favre. It was just the fact that he was behind McNabb. That's the only reason Coy Detmer is not a household name <laughs> playing quarterback until he's 45. I'm telling you, that's keep those clearly, factually incorrect statements on my YouTube videos coming. They bring me so much joy. Here's my sister. If you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. Unless it's telling your audience how to support your podcast, because that shit gets old real quick. I think you should outsource it. And that's what I've done. Welcome to My Friends and Family Plug My Show. These are real people with real reasons why you should support me. I hope you listen. I hope you hear. And I do hope you support. Eric's podcast is upsetting me. I'm his sister, and I barely listen to it because he sounds super depressed on it. I'm managing my own emotions, and I don't want to hear my brother slowly realizing that his comedy dreams are crumbling in his hands, like he's clutching sand in his palms on a windy day. So go to erichelwig.com and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate the show five stars and write a quick review. Eric, I'm worried about you when I listen to the show. 
I don't remember you being this angry growing up. Thanks, sis. That website, erichelwig.com. Check it out. By the way, we're going to get back into the, the Sean King, other stuff to talk about in a second, but... You guys know, if you go on Apple Podcasts right now, I'm at 97 reviews. 97. I need three of you assholes to go on Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star. Get me to 100, all right? Get me to 100. You can do it. Help help me out. I think what I'm going to do is once I get to 100, I'm going to put, like, a goal for 200. I'm going to be like, when I get to 200, I'm going to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but like I need to give like an incentive for people to go review the podcast. And I was thinking like maybe I could like run a 40. Like that would be funny. <laughs> it also gives me like a couple months probably to get in shape for it. But yeah, maybe I'll like put a I'll run a 40 and I'll put it on YouTube or I'll do like the cone drill. I'll just do some stuff that guys have to do at the combine. You can just watch like an out of shape 35 year old uh, white guy eat shit doing it. Well, maybe that'll be it. I'll think of something. If you have an idea, by the way, an idea of what you'd like to see me do when we get to 100 reviews, which we're going to get to, when this episode comes out, I know you guys are going to respond in a big way. But we'll, we'll get to 100, and then from 100 to 200, I'll, every week I'll be like, we're at this number of reviews. We're this close to 200, and when we get to 200, you're going to see fill in the blank. If you want to fill in that blank for me, now's the time. You can email me. Email the show, Comedy at Gmail. That's Comedy at Gmail. You're going to email me. Just put in the title, Chris Evans Dick Pick, and I'll know that it's actually a suggestion for a 200 review YouTube video of me embarrassing myself. I do have some uh I do have some cool stuff for the show lined up. You know, I don't want to tease it, but I I do want to tease it. What I'm saying is I have some ideas for ways that people can support the show. And those are going to be hopefully up and running by the next show which will be dropping, you know, at some point in early February. So hopefully I got it for you then. If not, it'll definitely be the one after. But I want to be giving people, I've had some actual fans, people that don't share my blood, have been telling me they like the show and they want to support. So I have some stuff coming up that you guys can do. Uh, So, yeah, I'll uh, obviously keep you posted on there. And then, yeah, you know, whatever. You guys know the rest of it. Go to my website, sign up for my newsletter, all that shit. I want to talk about a problematic thing in the NFL, okay? A thing that needs to change. And no, I'm not doing what every other comedian does, and I'm not, I'm not going to spend four minutes you know, letting you hear my cries for social justice. I'm going to be funny. Don't worry. But what I want to do is talk about the one-helmet rule. This garbage rule since 2013 is ruining the NFL. It says that you have to keep the same helmet, for every, no matter what jersey you're wearing, you have to keep the same helmet, which limits teams from being able to put their throwbacks on, which sucks. Dude, anytime you go on YouTube and you watch, like, the Seahawks from the 90s, you're like, this is awesome. Can't we see that once a year? And the, the reason why you can't 
is because of this dumbass rule. So here, I'm going to make my, my case for it now that the one helmet rule has got to go. All right? Got to go. With the same intensity that they should be able to re- review helmet to helmet, that you shouldn't lose possession if you fumble reaching for the goal line, this one helmet rule needs to hit the bricks, never come back, go die in the desert. I've mentioned the Seahawks had great 90s uniforms, right? Picture John Kitna dropping back. John Freeze. Uh, whoever the fuck else was your quarterbacks. I can't think of anybody right now. But Seahawks, Seahawks, you're so far away. It's like you're barely... I feel like the Seahawks are like a Canadian football team that we let in the league every other year. I know that's not right, but in my mind, that's what it is. The Seattle Seahawks have... <laughs> have won one Super Bowl and three Canadian football championships. In my mind, you're not American. But, you know, like I said, good for you guys. Seahawks got great throwbacks. I want to see those again. The Buccaneers. We're talking about Sean King. Sean King never got to wear the creamsicle. For the love of God, bring back the creamsicle. I'm glad you guys got rid of your stupid alarm clock jerseys that you had. Like, like... You're, the jersey change the Bucks had for this year with Tom Brady is a step in the right direction, away from the crappy ones. But you guys have to have. I would bring the creamsicles back fully. Because some of your players, like I think Mike Allscott was young enough to have worn creamsicle, Warren Sapp, some of those like guys that were playing with Sean King that were fourth or fifth year when he was a rookie, they probably got to wear creamsicle. That's interesting. I got I to... Gotta, I gotta, Google and see if Mike Allscott. I he was one of my favorites on that Tampa Bay team. He was a fullback and he had a neck roll, but usually people put the neck roll outside of the jersey, so it just kind of sticks up behind the helmet. He kept his under the jersey, so it just looked like he it, he looks like Quasimodo running down the field. Like he looks like it's like, dude, get that neck roll out of your from out of your jersey and just hang outside. It looks weird. He was a Fucking load to bring down. And, like, I think he was in his prime in the Sean King 99, 2000. Those are, like, some of his best seasons, like, leading up to that Super Bowl. But, yeah, I don't, I'm don't. i assuming he got to wear the creamsicle. I love the creamsicle. I actually was researching it. I saw that Tom Brady was watching a Tampa Bay sunset, and this, the sky is all orange, and he's like, bring back the creamsicle. What else do you need? Let's change. I mean, they can't bring it back when they still got this stupid one helmet rule. But let's get rid of that rule. And let's at the very least get the Buccaneers an alternate creamsicle. Bring back the gay pirate, too. That's the I mean, that's the the argument against bringing it back is honestly like a homophobic argument that if we're honest, that's what we all thought. We were like (laughs) the old Buccaneers, the guy winking with the hat and the knife in his mouth. We are like, that's gay. That's what we all said growing up. But we don't say that anymore because now being gay is not bad, right? So the number one reason to not bring back the creamsicles is, is invalid. Perfect. That should come back. There's, no, there's, there's literally no good argument. And, and look, it's like, guys, it's a different world. If you're still a homophobe out there, you got to knock it off. I mean, every person in this country, 18 and younger, is gay. You've lost the battle. <laughs> it's like... I don't know, man. Like, I've had gay guys compliment me and, like, hit on me, and I'm like, oh, I'm flattered. It used to be like, oh, my God, what a... 
So I say the Buccaneer, I say you lean into the gay Buccaneer and bring him back, bring back the creamsicle, lighten up the colors in the pirate ship. I would, and here's what I would do too. They used to have the Buccaneer winking at you in the 70s when the team was terrible. Then they changed to get that, like, the skull and crossbones flag on the helmet, which is so dumb. It's like, is this team owned by the graphic artist from Pirates of the Caribbean? Why does your helmet look like a Disney ride? But I would say, go back to the creamsicle, do a white helmet, put the flag on, but then put the gay pirate on the flag. Immediately, Tampa Bay would have the best uniforms in the NFL if they did that. I'm going hard, hard for the creamsicle. Please, Tampa Bay, bring them back. I would like to see the Patriots' old uniforms. You know, like the old New England guy playing football? Historically, obviously, inaccurate. (laughs) You know, like when the Pilgrims played football? You remember that? When they weren't burning witches and, you know, giving Native Americans smallpox (laughs) and being religious zealots. You know, they played football. No, I like uh, the old, like, it was like the, they were red jerseys, white helmets. That was a cool throwback. I I remember, I, I vaguely remember Brady wearing those throwbacks a couple times. But again, it would have been before 2013, before this dumbass one helmet rule. Who else we got? The Broncos. Remember the Broncos uh, before they made the uh, uniform change and Elway won the Super Bowls? They had like the light blue helmet with like the the big D for Denver and like the horse peering out from the D like he's playing hide and seek. That was cool. Like to see those again. Denver's got some cool throwbacks now, but they got to keep the deep purple helmet. It's like, you know, your helmet, your throwback helmet is not deep purple Broncos. It's light blue. The Titans could be the Oilers again. Although I don't think I think the Titans should give that to the Houston Texans or the Texans should try to buy it from them, but you know they won't cuz whatever. I've already talked about it. The lady that owns the Titans doesn't view the Tennessee Titans as having anything to do with Houston. It's hers. This is my team. This is, like, that's the owner of the team. It's not the city where the team played and had fans and has jerseys and Earl Campbell was a legend. No, 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 no. It's my team. Why would I give the Houston Texans the right to put an, an oil duct on their helmet and look cool? It's because it's just billionaire douchebaggery. But that's a throwback we'd get to see more. And then, of course, my Eagles. Oh, boy, that Kelly Green. I, it, they came back with the Kelly Green, like the white numbers and like the little silver outline on the wings on the helmet. Oh, I could die a happy man. What I, I don't know what it is about vintage stuff. I, it's like a thing in my personality, I feel, where it's like I want to feel like I have a relationship to something that nobody else has. That's why, like, when I buy shirts, I'm like, I I tell my family, I'm like, for Christmas gifts. Like, I'm like, don't just go to the store and buy me something, Eagles, that you think I'll like. Because if it's in a store, I don't like it because other people have it. Go on Etsy and find me, like, an old man that just died and his son is cleaning out his closet and has a shirt with, you know, Ron Jaworski's number on it, but it's... (laughs) 
It's missing the W from his name in the back. Give me that. Give me a shirt that nobody else has. That's what I want. And so something about like the vintagey coming back, it feels like a more unique relationship with the team or something. I don't know. This is I'm overanalyzing it. I'm so amped for football. You know, honestly, a lot of these podcasts, it's like I, I out football talk myself in the first 10 minutes and then I'm just, you know, complaining about putting on my socks or whatever bullshit I'm um, I'm having to do in my life in that moment. But I haven't even mentioned my dog once in this podcast from, you know, fucking 45 minutes in because because I'm amped up about football. Football's been great. And college football, you could be this great, too. All you got to do is set up a 16-team playoff. Not that hard, huh? Everybody, every conference winner, all 11 teams, power five, and then the group of five, having the best of the independent teams, maybe two, and then the next five highest teams, non-ranked, and they all play each other. Give the first four teams a bye. Who gives a shit? Have a playoff. Have playoffs. Oh, I should say with college football too, pay athletes. You know that way, like the woke sports fans don't come at me. What they should just play for free? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to make the argument they're getting an education for free because apparently that makes you a bad person. Although they do get an education, but that's not. I, I'm also for them getting paid because the universities make so much money off of them. Why shouldn't you get paid? At the very least, you should be able to like profit off of your likeness. Like that's the thing that's surprising is like when you're in college you can't just go down to like hey i just threw a touchdown against west virginia come buy this chicken sandwich and they hand you 500 bucks for doing it like why shouldn't you be able to do that i don't i don't get that and look if i was if i was a college kid they gave me my likeness i would sell that shit anywhere they pick it up you got especially with football it's like it's different. It's not with like other jobs where like you get <laughs> you're gonna get paid more as you get older. It's like with football, you get a window that might end the next time you step on the field. So you gotta make your money while you can make your money. They're not like me, like thirty five years old setting up a fucking merch store for people. There's this there's what I'm doing. All right, I I let it out. I was gonna keep it as a surprise. <laughs> I could just cut it out, but I'll I don't wanna edit this. I'm going to have a merch store, all right? And that seems maybe that's a little presumptive. But you know what's crazy is some of you, probably most of you don't even know that I've got a character that I play that was on HET that has like thousands of followers on Instagram where people have asked me for merch. And I literally thought about it the other day. I was like, oh, I should have a merch for my podcast because it's like that's what I, I think of myself as a comedian. I think of myself now as like, I got a podcast, I do comedy, I do stand-up shows. I have like three fans from that, and I have thousands of people who saw me on national TV as death, and that is the afterthought in my mind. Even though I create content for this death character I do, what we do is, you know, my wife's the producer with me, Liz Galalis. You heard her, very funny. She was on the, she did a little bit for us today on the show. But we shoot that stuff, like we shoot death stuff for like an entire day, sometimes two days, and we line it up so that it's we can do it months out, right? Like all that content for Instagram or whatever. And then so then it's just like I line it up in my phone, and then I'm just posting what I already planned out months before. So it's not 
it's weird. Like the death stuff is coming out all the time, but it's not in the forefront of my mind except for those two days we shoot it. So to me, it's like this little side thing, and then I get to focus on these other projects that are more day-to-day stuff. But in reality, I have way more fans with the death stuff than Sean King. (laughs) Nobody cares that I have a podcast about Sean King. I have to message people on Twitter being like, please care that I'm talking about this. But the death stuff, people seek me out for it, and I'm like, I'll get to you when I get to you. So the merch store is a chance for the death people to buy the death stuff they like. Maybe two of you will buy a Bring in the Backups t-shirt or sweatshirt. And I'll have something for my stand-up, too. Uh, Some coffee mugs, maybe. Some magnets. A tote bag. A mask. I want to customize a mask that says, if you live in California, stop being a rat. What's the thing where they had, like, a number to call if you see your neighbor's not wearing masks? (laughs) Yeah, my mask would say, don't be a rat. Trying to get people to rat on their neighbors. Yeah, how's that going to turn out? God, Christ. I said I wouldn't get into politics. But what can I say, guys? I'm in. I'm towards the end of the podcast. This is what happens. Happens? You know, my wife got, not upset with me, but my wife's from Long Island. She doesn't have like a thick Long Island accent until she gets drunk. And then it comes out. And I was like, are, are you like thinking throughout the day? about not speaking with a Long Island accent. Like, where did it go? Like, that's, that's confusing to me that it, the people move somewhere or they start to surround themselves with people who aren't from where they grew up and their accent changes. I mean, I remember I had, an, I had an ex. She was from Northern Virginia, which is, like, where I spent a lot of my childhood. And then she moved down south, and I saw her, like, on a YouTube video just a couple years later after we dated. She was like, hi, y'all. How you doing? And I'm like, what, what? Is this a comedy character? I don't understand what I'm listening to. So I asked my wife, I was like, where, is your, where did your accent go? You must have had an accent. And she talked about, like, she, you know, she went to school. She did acting stuff. She took dialect classes, which teach you how to, like, speak with the, what a, I think it's called a standard American accent. So she was like, I think it just went away slowly with doing that stuff. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. Like, you train it out of your voice. But if you have a conversation with anybody about losing their accent, at some point it stops being a conversation about them losing their accent and starts being an existential conversation about somebody losing who they are. <laughs> so I've learned that because then I brought it, like she was having a Zoom call with her friends and I like hopped in the background. And I was like, hey, where are your guys' accents? And I saw it start to happen to them too. And I realized people will get sensitive if you keep drilling on the fact that They've lost a piece of themselves when their accent goes. And here's the thing, too, is like I probably had an accent as well. I mean, born in Germany, South Carolina, Louisiana, and then I moved up to New Jersey when I was like 12. But I must have had something with my voice moving like for the first time to the Northeast when I have already been alive for 12 years, listening to people talk in the South, going to public school in the South. So who knows? I mean, I wonder if you listened to yourself as a kid talking, like if you would hear it. Do you hear your voice sounding different? I don't know. It's an interesting interesting phenomenon. And some people then fake it, and it's, it's like Madonna moves to London, and she's British in three months, and you're like, okay, how much of this is like 
how much of this is like it's a thing that just happens naturally? How much of this is also like you're a you're a vapid, empty-headed person who's very who's highly suggestible? Is there a level of social compliance involved in your accent changing quicker or slower than other people? I like Bill Burr. He's a Boston comic. He hasn't lived in Boston for 30 years. He sounds like he's straight out of Southeast. So it's like, that's what I'm curious about is like the people who keep their accent, are they like telling themselves, don't lose the accent, don't lose it. Maybe I'll test it out. Maybe I'll move to uh, Scotland when I'm 40 and then just see what my accent sounds like when I'm 50. 10 years is a, is a big ass just to prove this dumbass theory I have. So I probably won't do what I just said. Let's get to our third and final pre-planned bit of the uh, of the episode, and then we're going to get the fuck out of here. Check out this sweet, sweet, sweet pre-planned bit. Welcome back to another edition of On This Day in Backup History. Today we travel to Buffalo, the Hunter Biden of cities in New York State, for a backup quarterback. Todd Collins, distraught over an unsuccessful relief effort of future Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly, went to a local Buffalo bar. Always the jokester. It was there that Todd Collins, craving a Tom Collins, said, I'll have one of me, please. The bartender didn't get it at all and gave him a beer. Todd Collins vowed in that moment he would do whatever it took to make a name for himself in the NFL. Then his agent called and told him he was cut. Boom, boom. Todd Collins went on to uh, play pretty well for for the uh, Washington football players united under the Stars and Stripes. Stars and bars. <laughs> oh, my God. All my friends in D.C. are like, I've just been texting with them. They're like, what the fuck is happening, man? It's so crazy. I have I have a friend who lives right across from the hotel that all those loons were staying in. And he's like, something's going down, man. <laughs> like, it's so crazy. I, what, what, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. If I ever do have like a... I've told myself, like, I really want to try to support this podcast eventually with things like a merch store, with things like a Patreon, and just stay away from ads. Something about the ads feels icky to me, and, you know, I'm sure I'll eventually do them, but I'm, I'm holding off now. I'm more focused on building a thing here, bringing people in first. But if I was going to do ads, I'm going to do one of these ads. Like, I've gotten... Uh, I've listened to a couple shows that talk about apps that will sort news stories by political bias... And then force you to listen to what other people say and force you to acknowledge your own bias so that you'll see blind spots and stories that you'll just miss. Because so much of the problem with the news is it's such a big country. Everybody has anecdotal evidence for whatever they already think. So you can always just look at that and just never have to challenge your own bias. People need things that force them to do that. Otherwise, like you'll truly live in your own world. I think if I ever do get like a sponsor for the podcast or if I'm going to do ads for something, I try to do something like that. I feel like that's like the only way to be helpful. Not like anybody gives a shit what I think anyway. 
But like for for my own like I feel like I'm putting something into the world to make it a little less tense in the country. It's like here's the thing that I use to make sure that like I kind of know what's going on. Like right now I'm doing this thing called Flipside. I'm not going to give them free press. They should pay me to do it. But look, here's the th- I'm going to try to look for that. The the promise I'll make as far as ads go is this. I will never advertise something on this show that I think is shit. All right, I did that. I already talked about timeshare on my last episode with Lucas for like 45 minutes. I'm not going to do it. But I never want to do that thing where I just do an ad so that I can collect a thing and it helps pay the bills. Like, it should be something that I'm using that I actually believe is fun or helps people. So, so that is the promise I'll make. You know, I guess this is kind of on topic because I've talked about finding ways to monetize this thing and Whatever, that's my promise to you guys, is I'm not going to become some craven podcaster who drives the conversation into areas just so I can sell you guns. Like, I'm going to try to do it ethically so that anything I'm talking about on here or recommending to you guys is like a real thing. So, yeah, whatever. Should end the podcast soon. I guess I should, I mean, I'm like self-conscious about talking about celiac stuff because I feel like this isn't. Bring in the celiac convert. It's bringing the backups. But uh, I'm back in L.A. We're back off the road. I'm, I'm, I'm back to recording my podcast at my desk with, with my microphone in a familiar setup. I can see my dog. I'm not, like, wondering if my dad can hear me shitting on him upstairs. Like, it's good to be off the road, back home. But also, as soon as I got home, I had to get a... It's called an upper endoscopy, which is like where they stick a tube. Sometimes they do it up your asshole. I guess that'd be a lower endoscopy. But the upper one, they go through your mouth. So was, uh, so I had to go to the hospital and get this procedure done. And it's, you know, like I'm on the way there. I'm telling my wife, like, scatter my ashes in the Atlantic. Like, I'm just fucking being a baby about it. But when I get there, they just they just put you to sleep. Like, the scariest part is waiting for it to happen. And then you just wake up and you're like, you just had a nice dream and the doctor's waiting. It's actually pretty sweet. But the wait is not fun. And something they do at the hospitals, like they have me like signing all the waiver forms, like as they're wheeling me into the room, which is so weird. Because it's like, well, what am I going to like pull out a monocle that I was keeping in my underwear and look over all the fine print? I'm like, what am I signing here? What, what are you doing? Am I getting a prostate exam, like, after you're done with the endo- – like, what's happening? It feels – it doesn't feel right to make people sign stuff as they're moments away from having a procedure done. But that – I did have that experience, and I was just like, you're just like, whatever, man. Just get me out of the room. But then here's the nice thing about the endoscopy. They put, like, a thing in your mouth, so it's like it holds your mouth open so they can put the tube down. But then they, like – they get you comfortable in the bed. They turn you over on your side. They give you a pillow. And then you, they knock you out. But, like, they basically tuck you in. And, and I, it's been a long time since I've been tucked in. I don't remember the last time I was tucked in. It, it was a good tuck in. It's, it's like an adult. I remember my doctor was like an older Asian man. And he was like, how are you feeling? He like, they moved the bed so, like, it kind of, like, tilted up. Like, like one, of those, like, one of those beds you'd see in a commercial for old people. And he was like, how's that feel? Is that comfy? I was like, well, it doesn't matter. You're going to knock me out. You could knock me out, like, on a fucking cold metal floor. Like, I'm, 
I'm going to feel this for three more seconds. So, yeah, it's comfy. But it was, but it was, you just, I just felt so taken care of in the moment. It was great. One time I passed out in New York. I was exhausted and dehydrated, and I passed out at the top of a above-ground subway station and rolled down the stairs unconscious. <laughs> this sounds, it's scary to talk about. But I woke up at the bottom of the stairs, and I like couldn't talk, and people were like, called the ambulance or whatever. I had to go to the hospital and get an IV, blah, 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 blah. But the feeling right before you go, just like the the release of it. I've said many times, I understand why there's some people who can only come as they're getting choked out. Like, I totally get that feeling of like, <laughs> like the surrender to it. Clearly the podcast has gone too long and I'm... <laughs> delving into parts of my psyche that maybe people don't want to hear about but there's something to like the way like there's a vulnerability when you're at the hospital I've never I've I've I broke an arm when I was a kid I should say I broke my foot when I was an adult I think I had my I think what happened to my arm is I got like my arm dislocated when I was a kid I have a vague memory of that I had a, a bad injury on my thumb one time that required stitches but I was awake for the you know, them fixing it and everything. I've never been, like, put under before. But you're like, please don't kill me. My life is in your hands. I'm getting hard thinking about it. Let's wrap. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. It's good to be back in L.A. And I know that sounds weird considering <laughs> everybody's dying of COVID in L.A. <laughs> sounds weird to be back in L.A. I feel good being in L.A. because... You know, when we were traveling across the country, like, again, we did it as COVID safe as possible. There's no question the safest thing to do would have been to just stay in L.A., right? And, like, I don't give a shit about people getting there. People got to make choices for themselves. And we made the choice that it was worth it to see our families, but to do it as safely as we could during a, you know, national crisis. But even in doing that, even in doing it like following all the procedures and getting all the COVID tests we were getting and doing the wait periods before we saw family, like even with that, like we had close calls, people getting exposed and all that stuff. And just coming back to L.A., even though it's uh, a nightmare here, we really haven't left our apartment to do anything other than walk the dog and go have my procedure part of the reason we came back to LA is because I needed to have this procedure with my doctors here even just being back in the city where we've been living for two years is amazing because it's like we're fully quarantined I'm getting a lot of work done just because I'm back around my familiar settings so I gotta say I think the podcast will be better not being in the basement of people's homes where I am annoying them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> even right now, like I'm recording, it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm probably keeping my wife up, but like it's it's our house. Like she knows, she knows I got to do the podcast, and I'm not like lowering my voice to make sure people. It's like I get to be free. I'm free. I'm free to record. That yell probably did wake her up, so I am going to get out of here, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. <laughs> I'll see you in two weeks, hopefully. Thanks for listening to the show. To hear more Bring in the Backups or help us grow, please subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a written five-star review. 
or subscribe and hit the notification bell on YouTube. For info on the show or how to see Eric live, visit erichelwig.com to hop on the newsletter.